This is our first podcast. The Jewels of the Trade podcast. Encouraging professionals with industry inspiration, gemology, and more. Welcome to the very first Jewels of the Trade podcast episode. My name is Jordan, and today's podcast is about the importance of laboratory-grown diamond education in the jewelry industry. Uh, We cannot make this any more clear. We are not trying to encourage an opinion either way regarding lab-grown diamonds, but rather just really trying to rally support for lab-grown diamond education, especially at the retail level or any level that directly communicates with the consumer. Isn't that right, Hunter? Well, yeah, it's important to the diamond industry in general, be it mined or lab-grown, that an understanding of how to test and how to identify lab-growns is understood. Absolutely. There was a woman on Good Morning America last year who made public her story of buying an undisclosed lab-grown diamond from a mall store. The sad reality of the situation is that store might not have known what they were selling. We hate to admit it, but that that very well could have been true. I mean, she didn't name the store, I don't believe, and so that wasn't really information that was necessarily public, but that could have happened. It's reasonable that that store didn't know exactly what they were selling. And this obviously poses a huge potential problem for our industry and reinforces a need not only for education, but for proper marketing of a retailer's credentials to instill trust in the consumer. Customers in your area, they need to know that you know what lab-grown diamonds are. They need to know that you know that you're selling them a natural diamond when you say you're selling them a natural diamond. You know, weirdly, the FTC actually sent out letters a couple of years ago to a small handful of manufacturers that sell lab-grown diamonds, advising them to disclose their stone's origin, which they do. It's the whole foundation that their marketing rests on. And the big players who openly sell lab-grown diamonds are not the ones I'm concerned about. Right. Yeah. Your big lab-grown diamond manufacturers, I mean, that's kind of their whole shtick is, oh, we're selling lab-grown diamonds. We're selling lab-grown diamonds. Like, it's not the big name brands, the big lines, I don't think that we need to be super, super concerned about. I think it's diamonds that stores buy off the street, you know, the diamonds that pawn shops buy off the street. Uh, One of the things I really love about Stuller is that their Lafayette facility in Louisiana actually has an independent analysis by GIA Lab, where GIA specialists who are actually working there on Stuller's campus are using proprietary technology that can separate lab-grown from natural diamond melly. So this is this is a, a big company that's really taken an initiative to keep it separate and make known to their customers, retailers, that they're keeping it separate. And that gives retailers more confidence when selling to their customers as well. I would definitely say the concern for retail establishments in preventing the undisclosed sale of lab-grown diamonds comes down to their buying practice, particularly when buying off the street. If a retailer is knowledgeable, they can definitely prevent this. Absolutely. And and many do every single day. And knowledge of lab-grown diamonds is absolutely essential, even if your store doesn't sell lab-grown wine. Uh, There is undoubtedly a difference in value between natural and lab-grown diamonds. At this time, lab-growns retail at approximately 65% less than a comparable natural diamond. Unknowingly, selling an undisclosed lab-grown diamond is, for one, absolutely unethical, but it also opens you up for a lawsuit. And it should. Anyone selling jewelry that isn't what they say it is should definitely face consequences. I myself have been taking a really amazing lab-grown diamond class online called The Retailer's Guide to Laboratory-Grown Diamonds, and it is actually offered by the Gem Academy. 
And I feel this is such a wonderful option for our industry, something that can definitely revolutionize sales professionals at the retail level who are directly interacting with customers. I think this can really change how we speak about lab-grown diamonds, whether we sell them or not. I mean, Hunter and I, we obviously don't sell lab-grown diamonds. We don't sell diamonds at all. And there are some retailers that choose not to sell lab-grown diamonds at all. And there are some that only sell them and some that don't sell them at all and some that have both. And so regardless of whether or not you're selling them, knowing what they are, knowing about them, being able to answer customer questions, being able to identify them off the street and just look very professional all around, you know, with this knowledge is just universally important for our industry. And so today we're going to talk to Julia Griffith of the Gem Academy, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what she's doing to better educate the industry on laboratory grown diamonds. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for joining us today. Julia is the owner and instructor for the Gem Academy, and she is actually an expert on diamond types and origins. Julia, could you tell us a little bit about you and how the Gem Academy came to be? Sure. Oh, hello. So I'm Julia Griffith. I am a gemologist, so someone who talks a lot about gemstones and can identify them. But primarily, I am an educator, and I have been for over eight years now, and I love talking about gems and gemology, which is why teaching comes so naturally. And this eventually led me to starting my own school in it before I was working for Gem A in London. So teaching their diplomas, mainly in like diamonds and also gemology. And the Gem Academy specializes in online education, but picking on those subjects, which often only get like a little bit of notice within the much bigger courses, but actually each one has so much to say. And if you really want to know about it, you know, where do people go? So that's what I've created the Gem Academy for, starting with laboratory grown diamonds, because they're really topical right now and really important. And it can be difficult. So that's why I've started here. Yes, lab grown diamonds are definitely at the front of everybody's minds. I talk to retailers for a living and I don't even sell diamonds, but It does come up in conversation a lot because it's just, I don't know how often a hot topic comes around that the jewelry industry kind of addresses at the same time as the rest of the world, the muggles, you know, (laughs) (laughs) where we can all kind of like talk about this really exciting thing. But people outside of our industry, they're like, oh, what's the what's the deal with lab grown diamonds? It's so elusive and so mysterious. And I think people just they just want to know and they want to talk about them and everybody wants to have an opinion on them. So I know. And there's lots of opinions. (laughs) (laughs) So Julia, the courses that you offer right now with the Gem Academy are the ultimate course on laboratory grown diamonds, diamond types explained, and the retailer's guide to laboratory grown diamonds. So and I myself am actually taking a couple of these courses. They are are. phenomenal. I love them. I highly recommend them. (laughs) They're great. All of all of Julia's content for everybody listening is just phenomenal. Her YouTube, her podcast, her blog, highly, highly recommend for anybody in the industry wanting to learn more. So anyways, Juliet, could you just talk a little bit about these courses that you offer? Just a, a quick shameless plug <laughs> and uh, and who they're for, really, who they're directed for. I would love to. <laughs> so I first launched the ultimate guide to laboratory grown diamonds this time last year, really. And so this is for really jewelry professionals that already know a lot about laboratory-grown diamonds. However, 
they could be brand new as well. I cater for everybody and what I do and everyone learns so much, but it's really for professionals to kind of answer all those questions that they might have had. And it would just teach you so much about the production and identification, because this is one part that even people with qualifications really struggle with. And so I give all the information out I can possibly get my hands on and try and make really good images and videos so that people can study no matter where they are in the world. So that's really key. So that's the ultimate guide to laboratory going diamonds. The retailer's guide, I've only just launched. So uh, just in the last couple of weeks. And this just targets towards retailers. And again, so I'm always targeting professionals because they're the people that do get asked about it and they're expected to know. So it's really providing them a resource to learn from them, to keep them a few steps ahead of any consumer knowledge so that they really are the experts um, as they're thought to be. And uh, the retailer's guide uh, just focuses this topic at retailers. So uh, a bit less complex information, testing equipment that's designed for retailers and also battling uh, common questions and myths and misconceptions that they might get asked about. So it's really uh, targeting that. So they're my primary two courses. So all about laboratory going diamonds and then, which are great. I'm really proud of them. Strongly agree. And then I made the mini course, which I hope to make many more mini courses. But the first one I did was on diamond types. This is just £39 plus VAT. And uh, the reason I did this one is because, again, it's one of those subjects that people can struggle to understand. But if they struggle in their diploma, or even you might hear about it in retail and go, what is that? There's nowhere really you can go to really understand it. So it's setting up a course, they can follow it through, they can really get a genuine understanding and appreciation for the concept and a certificate of completion, and then, you know, move forward from there. So I hope to make loads more mini courses as well in the future. But everything takes so long because I try and make it, um, you know, very engaging. And that takes time. But yeah, so that, that are my courses. Very happy with them. Well, and they definitely are engaging, I think. I mean, I love everything you do. But the diamond types explained. I feel like you downplayed how cool it is a little bit. Yeah. What would you say? <laughs> like diamond types explained is like amazing. It's everything that you've always wondered that nobody could ever answer about diamonds. That's how I felt about that course. Ah, see, that's how I also feel about the lab grown diamond courses as well. Is there any concept in particular? Is it to do with like actually how the different diamond types formed? Okay. Yeah. So I get really geeky about the chemistry of it, and it always frustrated me. Literally one of my questions when I took my GIA diamonds class, which I enjoyed tremendously, but one of the questions that I had was like, well, I don't understand. Like, how does nitrogen make it yellow? Like, what is the deal with the nitrogen? Where is it? You know, and I think that not having a good concept, like for chemistry, because I don't have a background in chemistry. I don't, you know, I'm, I, I work in jewelry. I have a background in jewelry. <laughs> That's the same as me. And actually, I don't know, like I said, love talking about gems. And I don't know whether it's the fact that I'm not a chemist or a physicist and all those things um, that actually allows me to go, well, hold on, here's the gap from what the average person wonders about. So let's try and fill that in a way that's understandable. And I don't know whether that's actually what gives me the strength to be able to do that or like, you know, why I can go, right, well, here's what I don't understand. So hopefully there are others like me that I can then help boost up their knowledge. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I think the way that you explain it is essential because you're right, there is a gap. And when I was taking my GIA Diamonds course, I was on Khan Academy and I was on YouTube and I was constantly trying to like gain a better chemistry background to understand what I was learning. 
because chemistry courses online aren't necessarily addressing gemology, it's really hard to make application in your mind of these concepts. But with all of the Gem Academy classes, it's very visual. And there's actually demonstrations like the atom and the elements and how the crystal structure is built. And I just think it's a lot easier to visualize for somebody who doesn't have that scientific background. That's wonderful. That's exactly what I was aiming for. Why I make my little animations. I love the animations. I feel like this could turn into just a whole geek out like advertisement for your classes. But I really do love them. Oh, we did say shameless plug. But no, I never started off thinking, right, I'm going to make animations. But suddenly I realized how imperative how important it was to include it. So that's it. It's all very stop-start. It's lacking in most gemology education. Oh, yeah. They're probably going to get better with time. Right now, I would refer to them as charming because (laughs) they are a bit novice, but they get the job done. And they're neat, but like that's about it, isn't it? I think they're great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I have high opinions. So anyways, moving on. So uh, kind of in, in respect to your courses at the Gem Academy at this time, I think that it's important to address why you're making these courses, who they're for. I think that it's important to kind of to recognize it's mentioned in your lab grown diamond course, uh, the retailer's guide to laboratory grown diamonds, approximately two to 3% of the diamonds that are used in jewelry right now are of lab grown origin. And that significant demand for lab grown diamonds has really only just begun in the last five to 10 years or so. But You also state in your course, um, it's believed that all major currently active diamond mines will actually cease production in the next 65 years. So that lab-grown number is probably only going to grow. Oh, yeah. Just to clarify a couple of points on that. So 2 to 3%, that was actually a prediction. So from a market analyst, Orzum Niski. And so that was his prediction that he gave in 2018. So it's 2% in 2018. It was meant to be I think 3% in 2023, and then it was going to rise to about 5% 2035. So still in like 14 years time. Now that was his predictions in 2018. And I really think that there have been so many more production companies opening even in the last couple of years. So I reckon maybe we've already gone past that. Now, I did have a look and I know in 2019, a different market analyst suggested that actually it was closer to 3.5% already in 2019. So it depends who you're listening to and their predictions and where they're getting the figures from. And also if they're referring to all jewelry or if they're referring just to diamond jewelry. So I know that certainly Paul Zimniski's predictions were just diamond jewelry. I'm not sure about this other guys. So yeah, and I reckon it's even bigger than that anyway. But the important thing is, is that Yes, there's a significant number because that still represents millions of individual stones. Millions, billions, actually, if you include the melee, which are the very small stones. And then you've got, of course, the fact that the awareness is only increasing. The production is only increasing. I think it's gone really crazy. Even though I wrote this course a year ago, I cannot believe how much media has been on it in the last year. For the first time in my life, I felt ahead of the game. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I chose this subject. And it's going to really increase. And then you touch on the fact that the natural diamond supply is going to go down. That, again, is a prediction from another company. 
Mm, which one? Oh, I don't remember right now, but I know there's two predictions. I like their prediction because they're, they're, they seemed very founded in information. I think Paul Zineski has his own, which is about over 100 years, but they should all be gone, certainly within the next six to 10 decades. And even so, they think that the biggest five that are around right now, I think they're predicted to all cease production within the next 10 years. So yeah, so then it's going to significantly reduce from that. So when it comes to natural diamonds, this is a finite resource. And then I guess there will then be this period of time, the less that get produced there, there will be a demand for them still. So yeah, maybe then the numbers of lab-grown diamonds will increase dramatically at that point but i think we've still got a big to go even in the near future to be honest because it just seems like it's um just such a hot topic i don't see this train stopping anytime soon the only thing that would is actually their value which i guess we could talk about i think it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens there as more are produced it's already falling significantly so that would be interesting and then i don't know whether then actually production you never know People will still do it, but I don't know whether the, there'll be as many new people starting to do it as that drops, because then setting up will be obviously just a huge investment. But yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And I think it's going to depend on how it's all marketed. I think it's going to depend a lot on how mining markets their product and then how the lab-grown creators are marketing their product. And then when you have manufacturers that are doing both. And so there's going to be a lot of marketing influence You know, when you have companies this large with this much money controlling this amount of product. So it, it will be very interesting to see. It is interesting. And like De Beers aren't the only ones to be a natural diamond company that have then started, you know, also producing laboratory grains. There's actually a few. They don't announce it. Like Lightbox, you know, everyone knew it was by De Beers. Everyone then had a bit of a pin, like an opinion on it, which everyone's very welcome to have. But then the amount of companies that I've now heard, I'm like, oh, tell me about yourself. And actually they're an offshot of a natural diamond company. I don't want to say that they're kind of maximizing on, on the current popularity, but one could say that. But it's, it's just interesting because the, I think their primary interest is still natural diamonds, but it's kind of like, well, hey, look at this wave. <laughs> you know, why not I'll get on it? I, I, I can understand. I would like to, at some point, if we can make a note to talk about advertising of them, because I know that you just talked, mentioned on how the various companies talk about their products. And I think actually you bring up a really important point on well, myths and misconceptions in regards to sustainability and stuff that we could definitely talk about if you want to. I think it's important that jewelry professionals who interact with the public are knowledgeable about laboratory-grown diamonds, regardless of their opinions on them. And actually, just even if their store doesn't sell them, there's any number of reasons why a professional working in jewelry, even if your store doesn't carry lab-grown diamonds, that you should still be able to answer questions you know, from a discerning customer. Or if you have to buy diamonds off the street, you definitely, definitely need to know what you're buying because especially if you're going to sell it or if you're going to use it as trade-in, you have to know if it is or isn't lab-grown because the value is so affected. If you are within the jewelry industry, you're a member of this industry and it's so important to have your information accurate, mainly from the point of view that we mitigate confusion, we mitigate myths or misconceptions. And that is so important. That's actually a real strength. So I am really keen for everyone to be educated on this subject because when you do have all these different opinions being shouted out from the industry to the consumer, 
we don't look united, you know? And then it's like, well, who can we believe from the same industry? And that's actually a really vulnerable position for us to be in. We don't look strong. If we all had the same information. It's very compromising to the independent jeweler. I think that's who it hurts the most when we're not a united front. Because when you have confusion or even when you have bias, because there, you do come across professionals who, if they don't agree with something or they don't share an opinion on lab-grown diamonds or any number of subjects, they kind of put their hand up and they're like, I don't want to know anything about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. Those customers that are spoken to that way, they'll turn around and they'll buy online. You know, They're going to go shop on the internet and that's going to create a distaste for independent jewelers when 99.9% of independent jewelers are not that way. Most of them are very intelligent, always learning, wanting to learn more. But it's that 0.1% of professionals who are misrepresenting the industry that I think are really driving people to shop with that faceless online presence. Well, you're uh, very educated in the online offline situation, aren't you? It's just a reality. I think if you work in a brick and mortar retail store, somewhat competing for, I would say like couples 35 and under in your lower middle class and below range. You are competing with online retailers for their business almost all the time. And the thing is, is I talk to people who do shop online and they buy their jewelry online and I'll say, well, why did you, why did you make this choice to buy online and not in a store? It's usually not the reason they think they have this preconceived notion, oh, well, I didn't think that the jewelry store would carry lab grounds. That's one I've heard a lot. They wanted a lab grown. They didn't expect an independent to have it, so they didn't go. They might expect that the independent jeweler is too expensive. Well, that's usually wrong too. Typically, an independent jeweler is going to carry a, an array you know, of qualities, including lab grown diamonds and even other suitable alternatives. Some people don't want a diamond. Some people want a colored stone or they might even want a colorless diamond alternative like moissanite. Independent jewelry stores have those, but they haven't branded themselves so that people know that. So people usually seek that type of alternative online. It's unfortunate because the independent jeweler is the best option for the customer and for the industry. And for the experience. Like I love going and trying on stuff. I never I've ordered a few ordered a few things online. Haven't we all? But you know, I, I actually ordered a few things from some of the kind of jewelry television programs. Just to see kind of like, oh, I wonder what it's like. And often the metal is much thinner than I would have preferred. Obviously, that's not true for necessarily every product. But where you can't physically try it on and the look might be different to what you thought. Um, the amount, because I worked in a retailer, is just for a short time. I would just talk to them too much about gems. I don't know <laughs> um, if I was that good at selling. But the people that would try stuff on, their first initial stone that they tried on, they'd go, oh, it's even though this is what I thought I wanted, it's not really. And we're trying a few different ones that were similar. No, as soon as it's normally the halo <laughs> with the diamond shoulders, they'll go, oh my God, I didn't think I'd like this, but I love it. It's because they need to try stuff on. So it is actually really important. And I'm going ring shopping actually with my friend scene because it's so important. I just said, no matter how we end up doing it, let's go try stuff on first because I encourage everyone, go try on jewelry. It's so much fun. <laughs> You learn a lot. Yes. And I think it's good. I love that you recommend to your friends to go into stores because I think the first research kind of phase for a jewelry shopper, especially an engagement shopper, is research. And they're typically looking to online. And this ties back into lab-grown diamonds. 
there is an alarming amount of misinformation on the internet about jewelry and diamonds and lab-grown diamonds. And so I, and I think that that misinformation even sometimes trickles its way into jewelry stores. Um, not often. Of all the time. Because where do you think jewelry stores go if they then say, oh, let's just do a bit of research on lab-grown diamonds? They might fall on a really good uh, resource like Gems and Gemology, which is, you know, all free online. Uh, but that can be quite heavy, but they, they could fall on somewhere like that, which is extremely reliable. Or they might just fall maybe just on another store's education page. And maybe that's not 100% accurate. And then the misinformation just gets spread. And the other issue is, is that they're not learning any more than the average consumer would learn. So where is your expertise? Uh, where's that extra level? And uh, that's what I'm offering, which is why I do really target professionals, because I think we're important and we're the front line and then allow you know, whoever I teach will then spread the information further. So that's uh, definitely my target. I feel the same as you, like education for professionals is so, so important. I love these happy words of happiness. And that brings us to an interesting topic too, is just like really common myths. I'm sure some people listening to this podcast uh, might even have some misconceptions of their own unknowingly about lab-grown diamonds. I cannot believe how often I hear that lab-grown diamonds are created in a microwave. I hear that all the time. I, I watch tons of YouTube videos. I know where that comes from, though. Oh, please, ooh, do tell, because I think that's important to address because you're going to have customers who... I had customers when I was in retail. You have customers going into jewelry stores and being like, oh, well, I heard lab-grown diamonds come from a microwave. You have to have a response to that. I'm assuming. So, little lesson. So, there are two methods for creating laboratory-grown diamonds for gem quality laboratory-grown diamonds. One is your HPHT, and then the other one is CVD. So HPHT, high-pressure, high-temperature synthesis, CVD, chemical vapor deposition. Now, what they're referring to will be relating to the CVD synthesis. So they're talking about creating it within a vacuum from a plasma. And the way that the plasma is created is they get lots of hydrogen, and then they actually use microwaves. So as in the electromagnetic energy, microwaves, to heat up the hydrogen, which ionizes it, and then that's your plasma, which is eventually going to have methane go into it, and then that disassociates into your carbon molecules, and then you know it falls down onto your diamond seeds, and then they start to grow. So that's, I'm guessing, where it's coming from. So it's not in a microwave, it's in a specially designed vacuum chamber that is complicated, it's not a microwave, but it does use microwave energy. So that must be that. Must be that. And it's funny because um, you're just talking about another myth and misconception, like a pet peeve that I have. If I'm on someone's website and it always says, oh, laboratory-grown diamonds are created with you know the same forces as a natural diamond, however, it's in a lab. And I'm like, well, hold on. That's kind of true, but that would only be applicable for HPHT laboratory-grown diamonds. Other diamonds, they're not created in the earth by microwaves. You know, so like pick a pick a lane. Like you can't just generalize because even though it's true for one half of them, the other half is, is not true for. And you, you can't just say microwaves because then, yeah, people get completely the wrong idea. But they're talking about microwave energy, which actually would be true, but only for CBD synthesis. So that must be it, right? That must be it. Yes, I'm sure that is. I'm sure that is what it's coming from. And I think what people say that the reason that people probably say that is to diminish the time and effort that goes into creating lab-grown diamonds. I think that there's kind of this imagination that you put 
a lump of coal in a microwave. This is what I'm assuming people think. And you press 30 seconds and then out pops a diamond. And it truly, it takes longer than that. And you're not using coal. That's not going to get you there. Diamonds are not made from coal, people. (laughs) No. Jordan. (laughs) No coal is involved in the creation of laboratory-grown diamonds, nor natural diamonds. No, no, no. There are definitely customers who think, though, that you take... And you know where that comes from? It's because of the hair thing. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Where people send their hair in to become, well, I mean, it's probably more than hair, but they send in, you know, cremated remains to be turned into a diamond. And so that's the visual that people have is that you're just like shuffling coal into a microwave and out pops a diamond. And it's a much longer process. It's a much more complicated process. What I thought was really interesting that I learned in your course is that they're using a diamond seed, part of a diamond. This is then what gets my goat. So yes, a diamond seed is used in the creation of gem quality laboratory grown diamonds, not for industrial quality, which is, you know, one, um, we actually make billions of carrots every year of industrial quality laboratory grown diamonds. You don't need a seed for every single one, but if you want gem quality, you do. So this is where actually people say, oh, well, they're cultured diamonds then because you start with a seed and it's like, well, hold on. Actually, in both processes, Even though you could use a natural diamond seed, they don't. The diamond seed itself is also a laboratory-grown diamond. For the CBD, it's a sliver, often actually, of HPHT diamond. Then the HPHT laboratory-grown diamonds, their seeds are teeny tiny ones, basically like just very large diamond grit, if you like. That's what they'll use. They're just like a millimeter across. They're they're not what people imagine, like, ah, and then they're growing around. No, no, no. They're literally just there to make sure that the carbon attaches at that point, so like a nucleation point, and then they can grow to form one single crystal. And that's their purpose. And then often they get, they're not cut into the final stone, they get cut off and reused if they can be. But yeah, otherwise diamond seeds are used. I'm glad you found that interesting. But then that's often people's excuses for being like, oh, well, they're cultured. And I'm like, that's so different to pearls, don't get me started. Now I know that we could talk about terminology all day because cultured can now be a description in America. But they can't say cultured diamonds, but they can say laboratory-owned diamonds are cultured. They can do that. But um, otherwise, nowhere else in the world are we allowed to do that. Because cultured... We can't even get people over here to understand what cultured pearls are. We don't need to be complicating the term even more. I completely agree. All my retail friends listening know, you know what it's like when somebody's like, okay, so do I want a natural pearl? I would want a natural pearl. I just can't afford one. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I want one. I like big pearls, though, so I probably actually wouldn't. I like my like eight, 10 millimeters. Moving on, what were we talking about? The Portuguese diamonds? Yes. With that in mind, Julia, are there, are there other myths that you know that you get all excited about, um, about lab-grown diamonds that you think some of our friends in retail listening might want to might want to have busted. They might want to know the truth and be able to explain to their customers. Well, one thing, which actually isn't like a... It's not something that a customer necessarily will come in. Oh, no, they might. They might come and say, this is something I've done quite a lot of work on. But you know that people are like, oh, do diamond testers work on laboratory-grown diamonds? Like, are they the same? Are they as hard? Are they as shiny? And the answer is, well, they're the same material. So laboratory-grown diamonds do what natural diamonds do because they're the same material. They are. But the one difference actually is, is that some laboratory-grown diamonds actually test as synthetic mosinites on the diamond multi-testers. And this is where I've done a lot of work on it. Because the reason that I decided to talk about it lots, because even though actually you can find this information 
within like the GIA poster that's hung up in your house. And also a couple of the articles, you can see in the data that they're finding that some of the HPHT laboratory going diamonds are testing incorrectly on these testers. Uh, generally speaking, it's not wide knowledge because actually some other educators that specialize in laboratory going diamonds, I asked them, they didn't know about it, you know, and it wasn't in any of their literature. I asked other people that are really knowledgeable on the subject and they didn't know about it. So then I went, well, crikey, if they don't know about it, then who does? So that's why I've been talking about it more. So what I would like retailers to know is that if you do get a stone in to test and you want to test it to see whether it's a diamond or a simulant, we just have to be aware now that if you get a result synthetic mosinite, that actually you still need to do further checks just to check that it is indeed a mosinite or whether it could be an HPHT laboratory growing diamond. And I've got loads of articles on that. I've had one in the Journal of Gemology, my own blog. There's been one in Retail Jeweler, which is a British magazine. Have I written about it anywhere else? I've done a podcast on it. So yeah, that would be the one thing I tell retailers. And that's it's important for them to know mainly because I don't want them to misidentify anything, especially if they're well a pawnbroker or if they're a retailer that buys in secondhand stones. Or even if you just have a customer saying, oh, I bought this laboratory grown diamond, but can I just check it is one because I bought it online or whatever. And they test it and they go, actually, no, it's a synthetic mosinite. And the customer goes, but missold. That's not good for anyone in our industry to think, you know, for any customer to feel like they've been missold. It just gives us all a bad rep. And in this instance, they wouldn't have been. It's just the tester. So that would be the one thing I would really want them to know. If you want to know more, please do contact me. Yes, yes. Well, and I think that is so important. And I would like to warn people too that you're probably not going to be tripped up by a, you know, six or seven millimeter moissanite. You're, you're going to know. But Melly. I think is is probably where that would actually get confusing. And I think, Juliet, don't you use a UV tester for Melly? Is that is that how you distinguish lab grown from natural? There is a fantastic one by the company Gematrix, which is owned by John Chapman, who's an amazing gemologist in Australia. And he hand fabricates them. He's so amazing. So there's not loads of them around. He hand makes the testers? Yeah. Which I only found out recently. He hand constructs them. So I think he gets maybe the plastic made somewhere, but he designs it all and then he puts it all together himself. But they're absolutely fantastic. And what's good about UV in general is that natural diamonds and laboratory grown diamonds typically have different reactions, opposite reactions to one another. So that's so useful. And um, the thing about this piece of equipment from Gematrix, which is called the Jewelry Inspector, is that this works with the mobile phone. And your mobile phone can actually pick up color and light that your eyes can't. So under this piece of equipment, pretty much every stone gives a reaction. So unless the stone is giving uh, conflicting results, then actually you get a response for pretty much every stone. So it's so useful. And the other thing that it's really good for, like you said, is melee. And the reason for that is that most melee, not all of it, but most melee is produced by HPHT synthesis. And those ones, a high number, probably around 85%, uh, have really prolonged phosphorescence. And I'm talking about colorless melee. Different colors do different things. But the colorless melee, really long phosphorescence is over 10 seconds. It can last ages. And so this machine allows you to see that phosphorescence. And if, you know, you turn off your shortwave and you've got these glowing stones, it's like, well, that's the Borogigone Diamond Melee. And it's just it's like clear as day. So yes, I love UV for detecting 
phosphorescence in melee and just check, checking all my diamond materials in general to see if I can find out whether they're natural or laboratory grown. It's very handy most of the time. Okay, I was about to say, do you use the UV test um, for conclusive results? It can be. Basically, you know, it's the more it's screaming out at you. So if it's, you know, so your natural diamonds fluoresce strongest in long wave, synthetic, strongest in short wave. If that's really obvious, you know, a really big difference. And then if your uh, colors are typical for, you know, that origin, so natural laboratory growing, because they can differ. If that's typical, and then let's say it's HPHT and you have that really prolonged phosphorescence, really there's three pieces of evidence that are screaming to you, you know, that it's a laboratory grown diamond. Uh, it's when, for example, if it's, uh, if I could only get one piece of information from it, so let's say, oh, it's just fluorescing a little bit more in long wave, I'd probably do an additional test just to double check because that every so often a laboratory grown diamond will do the opposite of what it's expected to do and likewise for your naturals. So you should always do more tests. Check and check again. It's like, I always think of it as being in a court of law. And it's like, you know, how do you know that he's the killer? And it's like, well, you can't just say, well, this. You have to say, well, this and this. And he was holding the gun at the time and we totally saw him. And, you know, you try and get all the evidence you can. You don't just stop halfway through. So, uh, but of course, it depends on what you're doing and actually, you know, how important it is to you at the time. But yeah, generally speaking, at least two tests or conclusive observations as well. And but yeah, it can be exceptionally conclusive. Depends on the stone. And I think that that's information that's included in your retailer's guide. It is. Yeah, because I actually recommend that piece of kit for retailers. Yeah. So for the retailer's guide, because I do include a six-step guide for identification, but it is based on the average retailer's knowledge. So although we talk about observations, I'm not expecting them to be able to see everything and they might not even have a microscope. So although it's discussed, really the six steps is uh, stuff that they should definitely be able to do. And then equipment that is designed for the retailer. So particularly screening equipment and all that jazz. So yeah, it's designed really for retailers. Because I've also, I've just designed physical workshops. So practical workshops in person. I feel like I have to specify now that it's locked down. So in-person workshops. And I've curated a collection. So far it's 45 stones or 35 uh, laboratory-grown diamonds. And then also melee, and I've got some natural diamonds as well, but I'm planning to get more. And then I've got a number of pieces of kit, which people can come and actually see the stones, test them themselves, bring their own stuff. I will have the testing equipment there and really talk through it uh, in these practical one-day workshops that I'm now offering. So I'm doing that in London, and also I offer it, you know, for me to come to you, the jeweler or whoever, uh, to do also bespoke training for staff. Are you planning on coming to the United States? I would love to. So um, there's just a few logistics I have to sort, like insurance and the kit. There's a lot of kit because I bring the lights and everything. It's the whole setup. So I've only just started the ones nationwide. And then the next step will be abroad. And then um, hopefully conferences and stuff as well abroad. I'd love to do. So um, yes, in time I will. It is. It is important. And I, I know that we're going to have some retailers who are listening to this who say, yes, we love lab grown diamonds. We sell lab grown diamonds. We want to learn everything about them. And then, you know, we're also going to have some who understandably are hesitant, you know, with lab grown diamonds and maybe are, are uncertain whether it's about just selling them or what they need to know or what they can trust. And I think it's, it's so important to find resources in this industry like the Gem Academy where you can get trustworthy information and really start to develop that frame of reference. Because 
lab-grown diamonds are here. They're just here, and I think they're going to stay. Yeah, this is actually really important. I'd love to clarify that I, I'm not promoting the sale of laboratory-grown diamonds, nor natural diamonds, really. I'm trying to support people in their knowledge and how to identify this stuff. Because if you're in the trade, you need to know what's in front of you. And how do you do that? It's through learning about it and through experience. And that's what I'm offering people. I'm not promoting either party. And I try and stay as unbiased as possible. And if someone asks me my opinion, of course, I'll give it. But no, it's all about, you know, power, knowledge, power knowledge. (laughs) Knowledge is power, guys. And so (laughs) that's something that I really uh, feel strongly for. Because then even if you only want to sell natural diamonds, that's perfectly fine. But I will empower you to be able to know when a laboratory-grown diamond comes your way, you know, and vice versa. Some people only want to sell laboratory-grown diamonds. If they have a natural diamond in their stuff, that, that shouldn't be there if they're only selling laboratory grains. You know, you need to know so you can pull it out. So otherwise, technically, you're mis-selling. If you mis-sell a natural diamond as a laboratory grown and someone's bought it because, you know, let's say it's specifically for a particular sustainability issue or something that they were told, then that's a problem, actually. So everyone needs to know what they're handling. There's only one way to do that, and that's to gain experience. And that's the practical workshop. The reason that I really wanted to offer that is because you can't normally go into a place and handle a range of laboratory-grown diamonds, loose and set, of all the different color tones that they can come in, different sizes, different shapes. I try and get ones with features in. So when you read about a feature, I'm like, I've got that. Mm -hmm. So that's the aim, really. I think education is key, especially in this particular realm, this kind of niche of a niche, I guess you could say. Lab-grown diamonds are, are still so new and so unknown. Well, I'm British, Jordan, so I would say a niche within a niche. Oh! Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Southern. <laughs> no, when I first heard... We might have a whole category of Americans who are like, I don't know what they're saying at all. No, when um, I first heard Americans say the word niche, I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I've been around enough to know, ah, yeah, we say that different. Yes, well, and I can't speak for all Americans because in the South, we pronounce almost everything differently down here. And I know there are a lot of Americans who will hear me talk and be like, that's not how you say it. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, (laughs) I, I I do encourage anybody listening, if you work in the jewelry industry, whether it's at the wholesale or the retail level, whether you're an e-tailer or a retailer, however it is, that you do business, even if it's with or without diamonds. Being educated on lab-grown diamonds in this particular climate, I guess, just with with the media, really, really bringing up lab-grown diamonds a lot and a lot of controversy kind of being created in and outside of the industry. This is an important subject for us to be knowledgeable about. And so I encourage everybody to check out the Gem Academy. It is thegemac.com. And uh, take a look at Julia's different courses The retailer's guide would definitely be the recommendation for sales professionals. Would you agree with that? And then for staff gemologists would probably be more interested in the ultimate guide. I would also put in there anyone who really needs to know testing. I've got a lot of retailers on there, actually. It is accessible. You've done some of it and you're like, yeah, you know, if if you're a particularly science minded retailer, go for it. Otherwise, yes, it's for gemologists, gemology students. Even, you know, I really start everyone at the beginning because I never assume what you know. I don't know. 
So I start you at the beginning and then build everyone up together and it gets complex, doesn't it, Jordan? You can have no knowledge starting out. And then by the end of it, you are like smarter than everybody else. Yeah. I've tried to include things that you just they're difficult to come across the information, but it's, it answers all your questions. And, it, you know, I had to do quite a lot of research to, to pull it all together into one place. Um, also, so for the ultimate guide, valuers find it very useful. So valuers, buyers and gemologists, gemology students, I would highly recommend the ultimate guide. And then retailers, wholesalers. Yeah, the uh, retailers guide. And then diamond types explain this for everybody. I end up talking about the diamond types explained in both courses. And even though I kind of give everyone an introduction, it's kind of like, if you want to know more, do this mini course because it's all in there, you know? So yeah, that's why, why I include it in there. And I do eventually want to do other mini courses like band gap theory and just those other subjects that people are like, I don't get it. But yeah, that won't be until next year because I just need to really focus on marketing, <laughs> you know, telling people, this is what I've done. Please buy it. <laughs> So that I can make more because otherwise if I don't sell it, you know, I'm done for really. Well, I think as soon as people know what you're offering, Julia, I think they're they're definitely going to be interested. And I hope that anybody out there who might have questions, who's interested, who has questions for Julia, uh, know that you can reach her through Instagram. If you just type in the Gem Academy, you'll find me or the Julia Griffith, you'll find me. The actual handle is at the Gem underscore Academy. And also, if I may plug, I have just started YouTube. So these are actually focusing all on laboratory grown diamonds, and it's going to focus on the testing equipment. And then any questions that come up, we can talk about it depending if it works for a YouTube video. I'm happy to talk about it. So that's definitely something to watch out for because that's brand new. And I have improved all my editing skills over this past year. So I'm very excited. <laughs> Julia's website, her blog, her YouTube, and her Instagram are all phenomenal resources for anyone in this industry. I hope that everybody checks it out and hopefully signs up for one or all of her courses. You will be a better, stronger jewelry professional for it. So Julia, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and telling everybody about your classes. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on soon for more juicy topics. Of course, it's my pleasure. Happy to be here. So thank you for having me, Jordan. Thanks, Julia. <laughs> 